Amen. My name is Pastor Steve, and I get to talk to you today again about the big picture. Look at your front of your bulletin. Now, I, I would love to get um, you guys' version of this, what you understand from what we've done. And the good thing today is that we are wrapping it up. Today, you're going to get the whole picture. We've been taking it in stages. Um, I thought about trying to go really fast and get it all in one sermon, but then I, we... Uh, but today you'll actually get the completion of this big picture that we've been looking at. And um, so kids, I especially want your version of this. And now if you, if you have not been here before and you don't have an outline, if the, are the ushers here? They're looking for, uh, I don't see any ushers, they're out counting the money maybe. Um, but uh, let me see if I can get, uh, yeah. If there's, any, if there's any of the uh, outlines anywhere for people who, who don't have them, um, the outline that goes with the picture, which was handed out the first Sunday. Anyway, we'll see if the ushers find that. And um, in the meantime, I want you to, uh, let's see, are we on? In a minute, we're on. Okay. So remember, we, we started with the beginning with the creation, and now we're going to go all the way to the new creation. We started with God creating the heavens and the earth. We're going to start. We're going to see again God recreating the heavens and the earth. And just as it says the the world was destroyed at the flood time and judgment, and then a new world came into order. There's going to be a new new world at the end. We're going to get there. So, um, and we're going to get the PowerPoint up too, hopefully. So, um, so since we don't have a PowerPoint, take out your bulletin. <laughs> See if you can follow it on here. So, at the beginning, up on the top, we have, a, we have a little thing that says relationships. And you'll see it says just relationships and unjust relationships. So on this, that's a key to this, where there's just an arrow, a line, it's symbolizes a just relationship, a good relationship, where the line has got to squiggle through it. It symbolizes a broken or unjust relationship. So at the beginning, you can see that there's a just relationship. God creates the world. It's beautiful. It's good. In fact, it's very good. And he makes this beautiful creation. And he puts people there to take care of the creation. And we, James mentioned today that our purpose is to glorify God. The Westminster Catechism says to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a purpose that we share with the rest of creation. All of creation is supposed to glorify God and is supposed to enjoy Him forever. And uh, I can only tell the, you know, I don't know exactly how cows enjoy God. You know, I've not, never been a cow, so I can't tell exactly how that goes. But um, they do glorify God by being the kind of cows they are. Now, I was just at the state fair yesterday and seeing some amazing cows, um, I didn't see anybody praising God for making the cows. They talked about other DNA and how they were standing or whatever, but nobody praised God for making that DNA. But that cool, big bull praises God for who it is. And uh, there's a lot of other amazing animals there too. And um, a lot of other good music and a lot of other good food. And uh, the thing is, it wasn't a whole lot of glorifying God for all of that that he had made. There was a lot of a celebration and uh, 
but the point of it is to not only enjoy it, but also to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And um, so, follow along on your bulletin while we go through the, the slides here. Um, so we, but the special task that we were given was to care for creation. So that we care for creation so that all of us, together with creation, glorify God. So when people do care for creation and care for animals and make them fulfill their purpose and be amazing, that's part of caring and glorifying God. So your 4-H project can be a part of glorifying God as you uh, care for this animal and, and help it to glorify God. Now, And then, of course, when you pollute things and species are destroyed and that species isn't there to glorify God anymore, that reduces the glory, right? But... Um, the, so all of us, together with creation, have this task, and we have a task of caring for creation to do that. We're going to get to the new creation at the end. So um, justice and mission in the biblical story is what we're looking at. They're just relationships with God, with other people, and with creation. But those be became unjust relationships. So if you look at that chart, we went from family to society to between societies and nations injustice, getting worse and worse, ending with the Tower of Babel, and people getting not listening to each other and being upset. But then God had a new plan. He chose Abraham to begin to build a great, just, holy nation or kingdom. He said he would bless him and make him a great... And we got in on that. Um, we're going to see how we got in on that as we go here. But Abraham was chosen to be blessed to be a nation, and then to bless all the other ethnic groups with all their confusion and mess up, to bless all of them. We're going to see how we get in on that blessing. What does the nation need? And this is the outline as we go through Scripture here. It needs a God. It needs people. Notice the people are glorifying God. Yeah, notice that before? Enjoying Him. Um, and Israel enters into that blessing, and all the ethnic groups are supposed to come to Israel, especially in the Old Testament, there's some going, but there's a lot of coming to them. And they are, as it says here, and we're going to focus on this in our new series coming up. We've got a new series coming up next Sunday. Um, we'll be launching the, the next series, of, a part of Exodus. Um, we're calling it God's Vision for His People. And, um, but here we see how they were selected to be His people. His own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. So God's king of all the peoples of the earth, right? His kingdom is all over, but he selected a particular people from among all the peoples that belong to him and will be his kingdom of priests and his holy nation to be that people that are the priests between the other ethnic groups and God. So Israel was to be that, to be a blessing and to bless them. And to create this just culture, or we're going to call it God's vision, for the people of God, how they would relate in all those ways. Gave them a land, part of the creation he's restoring to a new way. Gave them a king, other people to take care of it, and a house. So the house, both the temple and the dynasty, a place in 2 Samuel 7 where God was going to give in David and in the temple some new point to his mission. Okay? And they were supposed to be an example, this different kind of nation 
was supposed to be an example to all the other nations and ethnic groups around and other families around so that they could see what God was like. How do you see what a God is like? You see it in his people. How do you see what any parents are like? You see it in their kids, right? But you see it not just in who they are individually, but how they relate to each other. And how these people related gave a clue to what a just God looked like. And so David and the early Solomon, this is fulfilled, but then it goes, and the temple was built as a place for people to come and see God's glory. God disciplined his nation, though, his kingdom, because of their injustice of worshiping idols and oppressing the poor. We saw how that happened in Solomon's time. He divided the kingdom, and then Israel disobeyed and was taken off to Assyria. Judah disobeyed and was captured by Babylon. And then we show this timeline of these great kingdoms of the time that Israel was living under most of the time, oppressed and, and by them. But God brought a remnant back and spread out the rest of the nation in order to prepare for his coming Messiah and kingdom. We talked about his left hand and his right hand, his secret hand, where he was taking care of Esther and Daniel and the remnant and spreading this news around in his right hand where he brought the remnant back new temple, and God sent his Messiah, Jesus, to keep the promise to Abraham and his descendants. The goal of the promise is beginning a just kingdom of God. Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus accomplishes this. All were necessary, his life, his death, and his resurrection, to make this happen. That was Jesus' message. Now, as I read this, I read this last time, but I want you to read it thinking about where we're going, because we're going to the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, to Peter, I'm going to make you the rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, most of the time, he's talking about the kingdom of God, but the church was a new thing. The church was the new people of God made out of the Israel, the remnant that joined to Jesus, and then we'll see the Gentiles coming in as well, the other nations. So, um, these... But this church is a new thing, and as we go from Jesus to the church, we're going to see that in a minute. But as I read this, I want you to think about how the people of God in Acts and how we as the church can follow the example of Jesus, okay? So God sent Jesus in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to be the supreme justice bringer. He wants his church to bring justice to this world. Jesus and the church depended on God by faith and prayer. The church, like Jesus, was enabled by the Holy Spirit and motivated by love and compassion. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God by mighty acts of justice and proclamation of justice, especially to the poor, the outcasts, and sinners. The combination of the mighty acts of justice, proclamation of justice, and resulted in the formation of the new community of the people of God, which is the church, the kingdom of God, which was characterized by a just social shape. All taken together, these resulted in the witness to the world. Some rejected this witness, others accepted. Now if you think about the book of Acts, um, what happened there? Do you remember the, the apostles? They went out and they did some mighty acts of justice, right? They, you remember John and Peter walking in and this lame guy jumps up and says, and, they, you know, he asks them for a little money, and they say, we don't have any money, sorry, but 
how about if we, how about if you stand up in the name of Jesus and be healed? And he's like, stands up and gets healed, right? There's a mighty act of justice declaring this poor beggar gets something way beyond a little money. God <clears throat> gives justice to this person, deliverance to this person, and then they say, now, this is what it's about. It's about Jesus who de delivered this person. They start proclaiming. So there's a mighty act of justice. There's the proclaiming of what this is about. And so people are excited because they've been watching, they've been going by this guy for 40 years, trying to decide whether they should give him some coins or not. Then the, but what happens? Here's the, the thing. There's often in Acts this pattern, and there's a miracle, then there's some explanation or preaching or proclamation. There's salvation. People were added. And then there's opposition. Because as they're preaching this, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin gets upset. They're like, that's our space. We got rid of Jesus when he messed with the temple. Now these guys are in there saying we killed him and they're messing up the temple again. So what do they do? They send in the soldiers, they grab him. Typical pattern again, opposition. Some people get saved. A lot of people oppose this new kingdom of God. And then there's perseverance. So these guys, they get opposition and they go to the sand and they, they say, you guys do not do this. We're in charge here. And they say, sorry. We have to obey God and not you. What, what are we supposed to do? And they're bold, and they're like, who are these guys? But they persevere through that. And then the church, um, the church prays. And do they pray, oh, God, deliver us from these. We're being persecuted. Please help us. Is that how they pray? Let's read Acts 4. Let's see how they pray. Um, I guess we skipped Acts 2. I should back up to Acts 2. <laughs> um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me go through. So Jesus, in his death and resurrection, modeled the pursuit of social justice, even to death, and laid the foundation of justification with God and victory over the devil. So Jesus begins the just kingdom of God. We've seen how he did it by reconciling us with God, justifying with God, justifying us with each other, and even justifying us with creation, or I'm bringing reconciliation and justice with creation. Jesus ascended up to heaven, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. We have, a, we have a dove there. It actually came this time. It came to Jesus with a dove. This time it came with fire and a sound of a mighty rushing wind, right? This roar of a storm. Anybody ever been in a tornado? It was roaring. And so everybody came and said, whoa, whoa, what's going on? This is at Pentecost, this big celebration. So people are there from all over the world. And what's happened is the temple has moved. There was always a little bit of, you know, that this new temple is great. And even after Herod rebuilt it, it was never quite the same because, you know, there hadn't been that pillar of fire and cloud that filled that second temple the way it had this tabernacle and the way it had Solomon's temple. But Jesus himself, God showed up in that temple. And now the fire and the wind comes and it hits Jerusalem, but it kind of misses the temple. And it hits the new temple, which is the people of God. And they become this portable tabernacle, each of them with flames of fire on them. And they start speaking in all these different languages and people from all over run to see what's this rushing mighty wind thing about. And they see Babel reversed. And all those tongues and confusion turned into, wow, they're proclaiming, declaring the great things of God in my language. 
These are people from all over who eventually went back home to all over, um, the, the known world at the time. So this temple, this is a new temple. It's a different kind of temple. We individually and corporately become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. And so, so that was Acts 2. And they, um, at the end of it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, partnership, working together and breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the sent ones, the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. So this temple is being rebuilt. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So they're praising God, they're glorifying God as they should, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I just told the story of Acts 3, got ahead of myself. Acts 4, they're hauled before the Sanhedrin, and, we, and then we said, did they, how did they pray? If you look at Acts 4, verse 23, you'll see how they prayed. They prayed, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. And Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They're not sounding especially threat. They're putting this in context. Okay, this is a threat, but who's in charge? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now I want you to notice that a couple things in our minds are mixed up there. They're talking about miracles, they're talking about speaking boldly, and they're talking about economics and selling lands. And for, all of us, for a lot of us, because we have this kind of divided worldview, we're like, they keep skipping between those in their verses. And this testimony that's bold, is that about the miracles? Or is that about the proclamation? Or is that about that they were sharing and there were no needy people? It was about all of those. Okay? Remember we said that by mighty acts of justice, by proclamation of the kingdom of God, and by being a just society adjust social shape Israel was supposed to but the church the new Israel the new people of God now is and remember these are all Jews this is the remnant of the Jews who are getting it they're doing it Deuteronomy said if you follow these laws God's vision for his people there will be no needy persons among you Luke is quoting that and saying hey look it was fulfilled it happened it happened. And all of those together 
demonstrated the kingdom of God to those around them. And some joined and some opposed, but it was demonstrated. So they, so I was going through this step of sometimes you'll see a pattern of miracle, preaching or explanation, salvations, opposition, perseverance, strength and faith, and joy and triumph. That's kind of a pattern you see in Acts. Sometimes one or two elements is out. But notice that it isn't like miracles and there's no opposition. Some of us expect that, well, if you just have miracles, everything would be fine. Actually, it tends to ramp up the opposition in Acts. Um, but I want you to notice that those are all together. And it tends to be that now we have specialist churches. We have some churches that are really into proclaiming the gospel, preaching the good news. And then we have other churches that are really into miracles, and they want to see the Holy Spirit move, and that kind of stuff happen. And then we have other people who are really into social justice, and they want to see society changed. And, and we end up critiquing each other and saying, well, those people, those people in miracles, they don't actually do anything in society. And then other people say, well, those, those just liberals, they don't believe any of the gospel anymore. And, the, and the, well, it's not about prosperity gospel. We've got to preach the good news. Yeah, we've got to do it all. And if some people are doing it better than us at some of those things, well, let's go learn from them and let's do it together. Because we need to, as a local church and as a big church, we need to do it all. Because that was our commission. We need to, the mighty acts of justice, we need God to do that. We need to proclaim the truth about this is about Jesus. And we need to see economic relationships changed. And let me tell you, that last one, when people really get filled with the Holy Spirit and their checkbook changes and their pocket changes and the way they relate to other people changes and you could actually have a body where there was no poor people among them, like, like doesn't mean there'd be no difference, but nobody would be hungry. Nobody would really be out. That would be amazing. And not like we stratify into different churches and there's the poor church and the rich church and they send a Christmas package once in a while. But actually, no poor among the whole body of Christ. Would that be cool? And it happens to some extent. It really does happen. In fact, um, I've mentioned this before, but my kids, when they were at McAllister College, they were into social justice, all the changes that can happen. It's really cool. But they were like, oh, everybody's up, you know, want to do that. And they were like, wait a second, these people don't have relationships with people in Africa like we do. They don't know people in Tanzania or Kenya or India, like the Varghese's or other these, you know, they hear about a flood in Kerala. They don't know what to do about that. We know who is there, and we can send money and help out with something. Hear about orphans in Tanzania, like, oh, that's too bad. No, we can do something. We know who's there. And the churches that know who the neediest people are. That's cool that we have all of that opportunity. Um, so not only does it change their economic relationships, but it starts changing their ethnic relationships as well. So in this church, even though they're all Jews, they start having fights. Because you know what? The Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews, 
They don't feel like, you know, well, you know, the apostles, they're all Hebrew-speaking Jews from Galilee, and they don't care about our Greek-speaking widows because don't, they don't get enough money. They don't get as nearly as much as the Hebrew-speaking widows. And this grumbling starts going on. They had ethnic challenges there, too, between languages. It wasn't all perfect. You know what the apostles did? They said, you all choose some people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and we'll give them the budget and we'll give them the money. Because we're supposed, we're, our focus, our particular call is to deal with the word and prayer. So you know what they did? They selected a whole board of all Greek-speaking Jews. And they gave them all the money. That's crazy. Right? Come on, let's think about it. That's like, there's white and black people in our congregation, people saying, you know, the black people don't get enough money, and so we appoint a board, it's all black people, you guys take the budget. Or it's all, well, if it was, you know, we all got our divisions, right? The Congolese and the Ghanaians and the whatever. It could be within any of them, right? If it was in, Tanz- if it was in Kenya, it would be between different ethnic groups and different tribes. Um, it used to be between the Swedes and the Germans, you know, but things have changed in Minnesota. Um, so... Um, But we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and enable us and empower us in all of those ways. And I think real economic change is as powerful as a miracle, because it is a miracle. Um, And God can do all of that, and he does in Acts. We see this fulfillment of the vision for Israel is going to become this. And then it gets bigger. Because not only was the promise in the Old Testament that Israel would be faithful, in the first eight chapters, they, they're working this out and they're getting it right so that they're actually sharing together, they're sharing the Word of God, they're doing the economic sharing, and God gives them some time to figure out how to be a just social relationship nation, kingdom, and then they start getting persecuted. And they start running away from the persecution. And God starts spreading the flame around. And we see Philip go to Samaria. Oh, those people, you know, those Samaritans. He goes there, and God shows up. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. And then they start going to even really those people, the Gentiles, the nations, the Gentiles, the Goyim, you know? Those really, those people. And in fact, what happens is the Holy Spirit, he really has to work on Peter. And he shows him this thing, and, he says, and Peter says, oh, I can't touch any of that. He says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And he's really talking about the people. You know those people you've called unclean your whole life? Don't call them unclean. And then he says, somebody's going to show up, and you were supposed to go with them. He goes with them. He goes to this Gentile centurion, you know, like the people who were colonial officer oppressing them, goes to his house. And then, what happens when he gets there? He says, you know, God showed me I'm not, God doesn't have any favoritism, so here I am, I'm supposed to preach. And he preaches, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he goes back to his church, and they're like, hallelujah, that's wonderful. No, that's not what they said. (laughs) They said, you ate with them? You slept in their house? What were you thinking? And he's like, the Holy Spirit showed up. I, I don't know. And then they still had to figure it out because it got, it wasn't just that. You know, they were, 
they were okay with Gentiles coming in as long as they became Jews. You know, just do all of your cultural practices like us. And the reality is that's still one of the struggles we have. Whatever church you're in, when my wife was in Korea, there was an Egyptian uh, Muslim convert who was there, and he was having such a hard time because the Koreans were insisting he had to be up so early to pray, he could only use so much toothpaste, he could only eat meat, you know, so much, because they had a way of doing Christianity. And you know what? Scandinavian Pentecostals, we got a way of doing Christianity too. And Congolese Pentecostals have their own way of doing Swedish Christianity too. Um, and when people don't do it our way, we're like, well, they're not real Christians. They'd be like us if they were real Christians. Because we figured out this Christian culture, and it's like this. This is what you're supposed to wear. This is what you're supposed to eat. This is what you're supposed to drink. And if you don't do that, are you a real Christian? We're not sure. I mean, you can, you can have a different color of skin, and you can have a, be from a different na nation or whatever, as long as you do it the Christian way, which happens to be our way of being Christian. That's still a struggle. And to be equal, are African leaders equal with our greatest leaders, or are they kind of, you know, coming along? That, you know, maybe you haven't experienced that, but I have. Um, we, we tend to think of younger churches as if they're somehow more immature. I, I, was, in a, I was in a church, um, and it was, a, it was a missions convention. I was part of this church, and they said, those leaders that you train there in, in Tanzania, they, you know, most of them don't have the, the knowledge of the Word of God, even like somebody who's been to Sunday school regularly in our church, right? And I was like, well, I mean, some of them don't have a secondary education, but a lot of them know the Bible a lot better than you do. And this Sunday school, adult Sunday school in this, program, this church is pitiful. So what are you talking about? You know, the Bible, but I was like, it was very, it's too complicated to say when you stand, make you stand up in church, right? Because they're immature and they're way more mature and they're, it's a mix, just like this church was what I was trying to, <laughs> trying to say. People who know God a lot better than you do, pastor. <laughs> and people who, um, you know, are just learning. So, um, anyway. We still have these issues. Acts 15, they got into it. They were like, what are we, what are we going to require the Gentiles to do? And they had to pare the list way down. These things would help us fellowship together better. If, we, if you didn't eat meat offered to idols, we'd have an easier time going to each other's houses. Okay? Could you do that? Um, they pared the list way down. So this gets to be a rather big issue, and you'll see it throughout Scripture. And as we are a house of prayer for all nations... We're having to experience some of this and figure out how this goes. And if you really think about it, Galatians is about grace. And that grace is the basis of how we all come. 
Sorry, I, I, should, I should catch up to myself here with the screen, huh? So God begins the church, the new people of God. Again, this is the remnant, the rescued, real Israel. By telling in words and actions the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. The good news is spread from the Jews to the Gentiles and eventually to the whole world. And this is Acts and the epistles. That means the letters that were written by leaders to, other, to others in the churches. And that's where that's expressed. So, um, and so this is redoing this people of God, this just relationships with God, with that new temple. The new king is Jesus. David's descendant has taken the throne. He's the new king. And they're praising God and they're relating to God in a new way, justified to each other, even across ethnic boundaries, redoing what was undone at Babel, and even in relationship to land and economics. It explains here Barnabas sold his land. He was a Levite. This, was, this is the year of Jubilee, coming back in a whole new form. So what's interesting is they have the same goals, but they're in a different culture, different context. They do it different. They don't do a Sabbath year, where people give up their land in a Sabbath year, but they give up their land to give. Now, it wasn't like you have to give up everything to come into the church. It was like, hey, somebody's poor, and I've got, I've got something in the bank, or I've got, a, I've got a, a, a house, a little land I could sell. Barnabas sells it, right? And they... And they uh, the land and the economics is fixed. Now, we often think of the epistles through the eyes of Martin Luther and his struggle with the Catholic Church. But we need to think of it in the context that they were in. So Galatians is about grace and that we're saved by faith. But also that the basis is not following Jewish law and culture. It's grace. And Romans, he's got this great theological teaching, teaching um, but the purpose is for the fellowship between the cultures as equals. He says the Jews and the Gentiles are both sinners. The Jews and the Gentiles are both saved by faith and therefore equal before God and in the church. Ephesians talks about how it's focused on the mystery of God uniting and filling everything through Jesus and his body, the church. And this unity and filling is demonstrated by the uniting of the nations and the Jews and all their cultures fill out the demonstration of who Jesus is, not only to the world, but to the powers and principalities in Ephesians. Um, let, let, let's look at Colossians 1 briefly, and I want, to see, I want you to just see how all of this is brought together and how it connects with creation, because we haven't forgotten, we're going back to Creation, Colossians 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the image, Colossians 1, 15. There's a Bible in front of you if you don't have one. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, and for him. He created it all. He is before all things. He was before anything was created. He was God. And in him, all things hold together. That's how the molecules spin. He holds them together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So when we talked about he's reconciling all things, Scripture talks about we were enemies, but we were reconciled through the cross by Jesus. Ephesians 2 talks about Jews and Gentiles and different ethnic groups are reconciled to each other through Jesus. And all of creation is reconciled back to God and fits together through Jesus. That is amazing. That's already happening, but it's going to happen more fully. So let's look at the last. So, okay, first of all, you see how the church, which is originally Jewish, but then becomes Jewish, Gentile, and then becomes mostly Gentile, is taking that place where God is blessing the new people of God, the church, in order to bless all ethnic groups. But a different thing is, before the emphasis was primarily on coming, now the emphasis switches to go. Make disciples. Make disciples, but go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And there's this going aspect that's easy to forget, even for us. We tend to be like, we have nice services. They could come anytime they want. Actually, we're supposed to go. We're supposed to build relationships where you are during the week. We're supposed to be doing like Vern was saying. He has lots of people come on his bus, and he's praying for them, and he's trying to be the church on the bus. And that's what we need to be. We need to be going. Of course, it's hard to go to those people, those other ethnic groups, those pagans, but um, that's our call, to bless them. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, but you are not like that. He's talking now to Gentiles. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Does that sound familiar to you? Is he not quoting Exodus 19? saying, you, the church, are now this priestly people, these people who represent God to people and people to God. We are in that position that Israel had. We are the new Israel, the new together with Jews and Gentiles. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. You want to know who you are? Well, here's your opportunity. I don't know if you've taken it or not for sure, but you have opportunity to be God's people with a new identity. We're God's people. Wow. Whatever you were before, whether it was Congolese or American or black or white or um, Polish or Norwegian, you get to be a new identity. God's people. 
whether you identified yourself by the color of your skin or what kind of sexuality you preferred or liked or what, you, uh, what else you did. Hannah did a whole thing of all kinds of lists of identities, what college you went to or what job you have or whatever else. God has a new identity for us together as God's people. You can be those other things, but our primary identity is I am God's people with the others who are here. The justice bringer thing we talked about already with Jesus happens in the church. Called, empowered, faith. Um, I think I already talked about this. The formation of this community of disciples is both the end and goal. It's also the means by which people come into the kingdom and justice is brought. It's the whole church taking the whole gospel, which that word means good news, I know it becomes a technical word for us, to the whole world. And I put in from the whole Bible, because that's what I'm trying to get us to. Trying to get us to read the whole Bible and take the whole good news from the whole Bible to the whole world as the whole church. And guess what? We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it without every other church in this city and every other church in this country and every other church in this world doing that. But let's flip to Revelation. Let's get to the end. Where you see the Spirit comes, starts this church, and like this growing into the kingdom of Israel, there's a growth here, but it's not going to and the church has grown in some amazing ways. Think about this tiny, persecuted um, group that was there at the beginning. Um, and it's going to... Christ is going to come back. We're not going to usher in the kingdom all by ourselves. We're doing God's work, but Christ is going to return as he went. In bodily form, not like a spiritual indwelling or something else. He's going to return as he went. And he is going to set up. He's going to come again and consummate the just, holy, great kingdom of God. Now, I want you to look at Revelation talks about this. Now, John, first of all, tells this thing. He sees these people singing a new song, Revelation 5. And they, um, the elders are falling down. This is what's happening at the time. But it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. They're pra praising Jesus. You were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those are the same words that are used in, X, in Genesis 11 and 12, talking about spreading out the nations. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. I want you to think about when John was writing this. John was writing this in exile, in solitary confinement on an island, and the tiny little church was being persecuted like crazy, and the message of the book of Revelation, like Daniel, is, you know what? God's still in charge. And God is still going to win. And you might feel wherever you are on your bus or on your, in your campus or in your job, like you're just some tiny minority and you don't know, you know, where's God? Is God at all on this campus? Guess what? He's there. 
and he's going to win. And just think about him in this tiny little thing, having this vision of every tribe and language and people and nation. That's crazy. Now, we're a lot closer. We can say, I can travel all over the world. You know, my daughter, uh, a week ago, traveled to India. She's in Pune um, in India. And so she asked around and she, she found a church. She went to church today, with some, found somebody to go to church with. And you can go to most places in the world and ask around. You might have to ask a little secretly. Somebody might say, oh yeah, I know where they are. Not everywhere though. Not every language. We still got some work to do. But it's amazing that a third of the world claims to follow Jesus now. In, and it's not just a particular. Christianity is kind of unique because it's not just where it started. In fact, where it started, it's largely been uh, tamped down in the Middle East. And yet, it's all over the place. Most, most religions are mostly where they started and spread from there. You know, Hinduism is mostly in India. Islam is mostly in the Middle East and expanded from there. Of course, it's everywhere. But it's everywhere that people glorify God. And it gives God greater glory when everywhere in the world they say, yes, he's amazing. Just like Coke gets greater glory when more than one nation likes it. Jesus gets a lot more glory because a lot more people like him than like Coke. And he's a lot better for you than Coke, by the way. Um, so God is still in control. He's still bringing his kingdom, even now. The kingdom is already here in every sense. God is healing people. God is changing people. God's changing economic systems. But it's not fully here yet, for sure. That's why we pray your kingdom come. We pray for his kingdom to come in greater measure, knowing that only when Jesus comes will it be finally completed. At that time, justice will be done to the powers of Babylon and Satan. Judgment's coming for the persecuted church. That's the message of Revelation. We must have a hope that we're driving for. Our struggle is not endless, but our reward in the kingdom coming is eternal. So there's an end to this struggle, but there's an eternal kingdom coming. John Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Our point is to get all the nations, all the tongues, tribes, and nations glorifying God. That's what we're up to. We're making more people from more places glorify God. And then let's look at Revelation 21. This is where we're headed. The end of the book. Revelation shows there's a coming time when mission will be complete because every nation will worship the king and live in his kingdom of justice. And your kingdom come, your will be done will be a reality. So just Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, let me just clarify here. I 
understand this as the new heaven and the new earth, like the flood, the earth has been purified, wiped out, all the bad has been taken off of it, but the good that we've done is preserved. You'll see later it says, the glory and honor of the nations were brought into it. So it's not that what you do now just gets erased. What you get now gets planted and magnified in the new creation. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's what we were singing, you're beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, or his peoples. <laughs> and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am coming, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. You remember that we lost the access to the tree of life? He who overcomes will inherit all this. In the tough time that the people originally hearing Revelation heard, he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the coward the unbelieving, the bile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Unfortunately, there is no bringing corruption into this. And so there is a place where people who don't want to be in God's presence can go. C.S. Lewis calls it the painful refuge. He says the door in hell is locked from the inside. We don't want God. We never want a God. Don't mess with us. And when you said, don't mess with me, God eventually says, okay, I tried, did all I could. So those people have their own place. But those who overcome will inherit all this. His people. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. Wait. This, I thought this was the New Jerusalem. How can there be no temple? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There is no place where God's presence isn't fully in this new city. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. No walls, no gates, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. All the best from all the nations will be brought. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants 
will serve him. We're going to be worshiping him and serving him. You're going to have jobs to do. You've got to reign, right, on this new earth. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Think about that, how that sounded to a totally persecuted oppressed church saying you know what persevere overcome you're going to reign with god forever in this new place our struggle's not endless but our reigning with him is forever and i don't know how god's going to beautify and magnify the gifts that he's given you there how he's going to make us a body there but it's going to be Amazing. Anybody catch the echoes of the Garden of Eden here? Did you catch them? The river, the, river, the river of life, the tree of life is there. We have full access to it. All that's restored, but interesting, it's a city. It's not a garden. So God's okay with cities. That's where we're headed. I like gardens myself, trees, woods. But I also like the city because God's, that's his future. So there's going to be a return to just relationships between people, between nations, with God, complete walking in the garden again, walking in the city with him, and a new heaven and a new earth with just relationships. So that's the whole picture. Again, I want to have from the kids and the adults as well, I'd like your interpretation of this. Give me, your, uh, give me your version. Fill in the things I, I didn't put in. Um, I, I, I would actually like to have you draw it out so that it's in your head, so that when you're reading Scripture, you say, where am I on the map? So I can find a you are here. I, so by the way, I, Paul Holmgren thought I should have put a you are here. Uh, I don't know exactly where, how, how close we are to the end. But you are here, someplace there. He's coming soon. And um, we're going to see the conclusion of it all. So what do we do now? Seek God's kingdom, his just society, his righteousness, his justice, before food, and he'll give you all you need. That's what the message of Matthew 6.33 is. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. We spend a lot of time seeking after food, and, and we get in trouble. We say, well, but if I give that up, what will I eat? What will happen to my, if I have to do that, then, you know what? Seek justice first. Seek God's kingdom first. He says he'll take care of it. Not only now, he'll give you to eat now, give you something to wear now, but he'll give you the kingdom forever. Let's, uh, can I have the, the uh, elders and deacons come and we'll, ministry coordinators, we will uh, share in 
the pre-supper. We call it the Last Supper because it was Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. He said, this is the last I'm going to partake of this until I come. So now what we celebrate in remembrance is the pre-supper for the wedding banquet together with the lamb, together with the bridegroom. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your victory. We thank you for your victory on the cross that looked like defeat, but was actually a disarming of the powers and principalities. We thank you for your resurrection that gave us a taste of the future that we have. We thank you for how you are embodying your truth, your justice, your goodness in your people now. Thank you for spreading your people from this tiny band of Jews to a world-encompassing kingdom that may not look like much sometimes, but you are in charge. You are able. And you are coming. And we're going to eat this supper with you. The wedding feast. When we see how beautiful you are. And you see how beautiful your church is. Your purified, spotless church. God, help us now as we celebrate what you did and what you're going to do. Amen.